A Journal of the Plague Year by Daniel Defoe, Episode 7. But I must go back here to the particular incidents which occur to my thoughts of the time of the visitation, and particularly to the time of their shutting up houses in the first part of the sickness. For before the sickness was come to its height, people had more room to make their observations than they had afterward. But when it was in the extremity, there was no such thing as communication with one another as before. During the shutting up of houses, as I have said, some violence was offered to the watchmen. As to soldiers, there were none to be found. The few guards which the king then had, which were nothing like the numbers entertained since, were dispersed either at Oxford with the court or in quarters in the remoter parts of the country, small detachments excepted, who did duty at the tower and at Whitehall, and these but very few. Neither am I positive that there was any other guard at the tower than the warders, as they call them, who stand at the gate with gowns and caps, the same as the yeomen of the guard, except the ordinary gunners, who were twenty-four, and the officers appointed to look after the magazine, who were called armorers. As to trained bands, there was no possibility of raising any. Neither of the lieutenancy, either of London or Middlesex, had ordered the drums to beat for the militia, would any of the companies, I believe, have drawn together whatever risk they had run. This made the watchmen be the less regarded, and perhaps occasioned the greater violence to be used against them. I mention it on this score to observe that the setting watchmen thus to keep the people in was, first of all, not effectual, but that the people broke out, whether by force or by stratagem, even almost as often as they pleased, and, second, that those that did thus break out were generally people infected, who, in their desperation, running about from one place to another, valued not who they injured, and which, perhaps, as I have said, might give birth to report that it was natural to the infected people to desire to infect others, which report was really false. And I know it so well, and in so many several cases, that I could give several relations of good, pious, and religious people, who, when they have had the distemper, have been so far from being forward to infect others, that they have forbid their own family to come near them in hopes of their being preserved, and have even died without seeing their nearest relations, lest they should be instrumental to give them the distemper and infect or endanger them. If, then, there were cases wherein the infected people were careless of the injury they did to others, this was certainly one of them, if not the chief, namely, when people who had the distemper had broken out from houses which were so shut up, and having been driven to extremities for provision or for entertainment, had endeavored to conceal their condition, and have been thereby instrumental involuntarily to infect others who had been ignorant and unwary. This is one of the reasons why I believed then, and do believe still, that the shutting up houses thus by force, and restraining, or rather imprisoning people in their own houses, as is said above, was of little or no service in the whole. Nay, I am of opinion it was rather hurtful, having forced those desperate people to wander abroad with the plague upon them, who would otherwise have died quietly in their beds. I remember one citizen, who having thus broken out of his house in Aldersgate Street, or thereabout, went along the road to Islington. He attempted to have gone in at the Angel Inn, and after that at the White Horse, two inns known still by the same signs, but was refused, after which he came to the Pied Bull, an inn also still continuing the same sign. He asked them for lodging for one night only, pretending to be going into Lincolnshire, and assuring them of his being very sound and free from the infection, which also at that time had not reached much that way. They told him they had no lodging that they could spare but one bed up in the garret, and that they could spare that bed but for one night, some drovers being expected the next day with cattle. So, if he would accept of that lodging, he might have it, which he did. So a servant was sent up with a candle with him to show him the room. He was very well dressed, and looked like a person not used to lie in a garret, and when he came to the room, he fetched a deep sigh and said to the servant, I have seldom lain in such a lodging as this. 
However, the servant assuring him again that they had no better, Well, says he, I must make shift. This is a dreadful time, but it is but for one night. So he sat down upon the bedside and bade the maid, I think it was, fetch him up a pint of warm ale. Accordingly, the servant went for the ale, but some hurry in the house, which perhaps employed her other ways, put him out of her head, and she went up no more to him. The next morning, seeing no appearance of the gentleman, somebody in the house asked the servant that had showed him upstairs what was become of him. She started, Alas, says she, I never thought more of him. He bade me carry him some warm ale, but I forgot. Upon which, not the maid, but some other person, was sent up to see after him, who, coming into the room, found him stark dead and almost cold, stretched out across the bed. His clothes were pulled off, his jaw fallen, his eyes open in a most frightful posture, the rug of the bed being grasped hard in one of his hands, so that it was plain he died soon after the maid left him, and his probable, had she gone up with the ale, she had found him dead, and a few minutes after he sat down upon the bed. The alarm was great in the house, as any one may suppose, they having been free from the distemper till that disaster, which bringing the infection to the house, spread it immediately to other houses round about it. I do not remember how many died in the house itself, but I think the maidservant, who went up first with him, fell presently ill by the fright, and several others, for whereas there died but two in Islington of the plague the week before, there died seventeen the week after, whereof fourteen were of the plague. This was in the week from the 11th of July to the 18th. There was one shift that some families had, and that not a few, when their houses happened to be infected, and that was this. The families, who in the first breaking out of the distemper, fled away into the country and had retreats among their friends, generally found some or other of their neighbors or relations to commit the charge of those houses to, for the safety of the goods and the like. Some houses were indeed entirely locked up, the doors padlocked, the windows and doors having deal boards nailed over them, and only the inspection of them committed to the ordinary watchmen and parish officers, but these were but few. It was thought that there were not less than 10,000 houses forsaken of the inhabitants in the city and suburbs, including what was in the out-parishes and in Surrey, or the side of the water they called Southwark. This was besides the numbers of lodgers and of particular persons who were fled out of other families, so that in all it was computed that about 200,000 people were fled and gone in all, but of this I shall speak again. But I mention it here on this account, namely, that it was a rule with those who had thus two houses in their keeping or care, that if anybody was taken sick in a family, before the master of the family let the examiners or any other officer know of it, he immediately would send all the rest of his family, whether children or servants as it fell out to be, to such other house which he had so in charge, and then, giving notice of the sick person to the examiner, have a nurse or nurses appointed, and have another person to be shut up in the house with them, which many for money would do, so to take charge of the house in case the person should die. This was in many cases the saving a whole family, who, if they had been shut up with the sick person, would inevitably have perished. But on the other hand, this was another of the inconveniencies of shutting up houses, for the apprehensions and terror of being shut up made many run away with the rest of the family, who, though it was not publicly known and they were not quite sick, had yet the distemper upon them and who, by having an uninterrupted liberty to go about, but being obliged still to conceal their circumstances, or perhaps not knowing it themselves, gave the distemper to others and spread the infection in a dreadful manner, as I shall explain farther hereafter. And here I may be able to make an observation or two of my own, which may be of use hereafter to those into whose hands this may come, if they should ever see the like dreadful visitation. First, the infection generally came into the houses of the citizens by the means of their servants, who they were obliged to send up and down the streets for necessaries, that is to say for food or physic, to bake houses, brew houses, shops, etc., 
and who going necessarily through the streets into shops, markets, and the like, it was impossible but that they should one way or other meet with distempered people who conveyed the fatal breath into them, and they brought it home to the families to which they belonged. Second, it was a great mistake that such a great city as this had but one pest house, for had there been instead of one pest house that is beyond Bunhill Fields, where at most they could receive perhaps two hundred or three hundred people, I say, had there instead of that one been several pest houses, every one able to contain a thousand people without lying two in a bed or two beds in a room, and had every master of a family, as soon as any servant especially, had been taken sick in his house, been obliged to send them to the next pest house, if they were willing, as many were, and had the examiners done the like among the poor people when any had been stricken with the infection, I say, had this been done where the people were willing, not otherwise, and had the houses not been shut, I am persuaded, and was all the while of that opinion, that not so many by several thousands had died. For it was observed, and I could give several instances within the compass of my own knowledge, where a servant had been taken sick, and the family had either time to send them out or retire from the house and leave the sick person, as I have said above, they had all been preserved. Whereas, when upon one or more sickening in a family, the house has been shut up, the whole family have perished, and the bear has been obliged to go in to fetch out the dead bodies, none being able to bring them to the door, and at last none left to do it. This put it out of question to me that the calamity was spread by infection, that is to say, by some certain steams or fumes which the physicians call effluvia, by the breath or by the sweat or by the stench of the sores of the sick persons, or some other way, perhaps beyond even the reach of the physicians themselves, which effluvia affected the sound who come within certain distances of the sick, immediately penetrating the vital parts of the said sound persons, putting their blood into an immediate ferment, and agitating their spirits to that degree which it was found they were agitated. And so those newly infected persons communicated it in the same manner to others, and this I shall give some instances of that cannot but convince those who seriously consider it. And I cannot but with some wonder find some people, now the contagion is over, talk of its being an immediate stroke of heaven without the agency of means, having commissioned to strike this and that particular person and none other, which I look upon with contempt as the effect of manifest ignorance and enthusiasm. Likewise, the opinion of others who talk of infection being carried on by the air only, by carrying with it vast numbers of insects and invisible creatures who enter into the body with the breath, or even at the pores with the air, and there generate or emit most acute poisons or poisonous ovae or eggs which mingle themselves with the blood and so infect the body a discourse full of learned simplicity, and manifested to be so by universal experience. But I shall say more to this in its order. I must here take farther notice that nothing was more fatal to the inhabitants of the city than the supine negligence of the people themselves, who during the long notice or warning they had of the visitation, yet made no provision for it by laying in stores of provisions or of other necessaries by which they might have lived retired and within their own houses, as I have observed others did, and who were in a great measure preserved by that caution. Nor were they, after they were a little hardened to it, shy of conversing with one another when actually infected, as they were at first, no, though they knew it. I acknowledge, I was one of those thoughtless ones that had made so little provision that my servants were obliged to go out of doors to buy every trifle by penny and halfpenny, just as before it begun, even till my experience showing me the folly, I began to be wiser so late that I had scarce time to store myself sufficient for our common subsistence for a month. I had in family only an ancient woman that managed the house, a maidservant, two apprentices, and myself— and the plague beginning to increase about us, I had many sad thoughts about what course I should take and how I should act, 
The many dismal objects which happened everywhere as I went about the streets had filled my mind with a great deal of horror for fear of the distemper itself, which was indeed very horrible in itself, and in some more than in others, the swellings which were generally in the neck or groin when they grew hard and would not break grew so painful that it was equal to the most exquisite torture, and some, not able to bear the torment, threw themselves out at windows, or shot themselves, or otherwise made themselves away, and I saw several dismal objects of that kind. Others, unable to contain themselves, vented their pain by incessant roarings, and such loud and lamentable cries were to be heard as we walked along the streets that would pierce the very heart to think of, especially when it was to be considered that the same dreadful scourge might be expected every moment to seize upon ourselves. I cannot say, but that now I began to faint in my resolutions, my heart failed me very much, and sorely I repented my rashness. When I had been out and met with such terrible things as these I have talked of, I say, I repented my rashness in venturing to abide in town. I wished often that I had not taken upon me to stay, but had gone away with my brother and his family. Terrified by those frightful objects, I would retire home sometimes, and resolve to go out no more, and perhaps I would keep those resolutions for three or four days, which time I spent in the most serious thankfulness for my preservation and the preservation of my family and the constant confession of my sins, giving myself up to God every day and applying to him with fasting, humiliation, and meditation. Such intervals as I had, I employed in reading books and in writing down my memorandums of what occurred to me every day and out of which, afterwards, I took most of this work as it relates to my observations without doors. What I wrote of my private meditations I reserve for private use, and desire it may not be made public on any account whatever. I also wrote other meditations upon divine subjects, such as occurred to me at that time, and were profitable to myself, but not fit for any other view, and therefore I say no more of that. I had a very good friend, a physician, whose name was Heath, who I frequently visited during this dismal time, and to whose advice I was very much obliged for many things which he directed me to take by way of preventing the infection when I went out, as he found I frequently did, and to hold in my mouth when I was in the streets. He also came very often to see me, and as he was a good Christian as well as a good physician, his agreeable conversation was a very great support to me in the worst of this terrible time. It was now the beginning of August, and the plague grew very violent and terrible in the place where I lived, and Dr. Heath coming to visit me, and finding that I ventured so often out in the streets, earnestly persuaded me to lock myself up and my family, and not to suffer any of us to go out of doors, to keep all our windows fast, shutters and curtains closed, and never to open them, but first to make a very strong smoke in the room where the window or door was to be opened, with rosin and pitch, brimstone or gunpowder and the like. And we did this for some time, but as I had not laid in a store of provision for such a retreat, it was impossible that we could keep within doors entirely. However, I attempted, though it was so very late, to do something towards it. And first, as I had convenience both for brewing and baking, I went and bought two sacks of meal, and for several weeks, having an oven, we baked all our own bread. Also, I bought malt and brewed as much beer as all the casks I had would hold, and which seemed enough to serve my house for five or six weeks. Also, I laid in a quantity of salt butter and Cheshire cheese, but I had no flesh meat, and the plague raged so violently among the butchers and slaughterhouses on the other side of our street, where they are known to dwell in great numbers, that it was not advisable so much as to go over the street among them. And here I must observe again, that this necessity of going out of our houses to buy provisions was in a great measure the ruin of the whole city, for the people catch the distemper on those occasions one of another, and even the provisions themselves were often tainted, at least I have great reason to believe so. 
and therefore I cannot say with satisfaction what I know is repeated with great assurance that the market people and such as brought provisions to town were never infected. I am certain the butchers of Whitechapel, where the greatest part of the flesh meat was killed, were dreadfully visited, and that at last to such a degree that few of their shops were kept open, and those that remained of them killed their meat at Mile End in that way, and brought it to market upon horses. However, the poor people could not lay up provisions, and there was a necessity that they must go to market to buy, and others to send servants or their children, and as this was a necessity which renewed itself daily, it brought abundance of unsound people to the markets, and a great many that went thither sound brought death home with them. It is true, people used all possible precaution. When anyone bought a joint of meat in the market, they would not take it of the butcher's hand, but take it off the hooks themselves. On the other hand, the butcher would not touch the money, but have it put into a pot full of vinegar which he kept for that purpose. The buyer carried always small money to make up any odd sum that they might take no change. They carried bottles for scents and perfumes in their hands, and all the means that could be used were used. But then the poor could not do even these things, and they went at all hazards. Innumerable dismal stories we heard every day on this very account. Sometimes a man or woman dropped down dead in the very markets, for many people that had the plague upon them knew nothing of it, till the inward gangrene had affected their vitals and they died in a few moments. This caused that many died frequently in that manner in the streets suddenly without any warning. Others perhaps had time to go to the next bulk or stall, or to any door or porch, and just sit down and die, as I have said before. These objects were so frequent in the streets, that when the plague came to be very raging, on one side there was scarce any passing by the streets, but that several dead bodies would be lying here and there upon the ground. On the other hand, it is observable that, though at first the people would stop as they went along, and call to the neighbors to come out on such an occasion, yet afterward no notice was taken of them, but that, if at any time we found a corpse lying, go cross the way and not come near it, or if in a narrow lane or passage, go back again and seek some other way to go on the business we were upon, and in those cases the corpse was always left till the officers had notice to come and take them away, or till night, when the bearers attending the dead cart would take them up and carry them away. Nor did those undaunted creatures who performed these offices fail to search their pockets and sometimes strip off their clothes if they were well-dressed, as sometimes they were, and carry off what they could get. But to return to the markets, the butchers took that care that if any person died in the market, they had the officers always at hand to take them up upon hand-barrows and carry them to the next churchyard, and this was so frequent that such were not entered in the weekly bill, found dead in the streets or fields, as is the case now, but they went into the general articles of the great distemper. But now the fury of the distemper increased to such a degree that even the markets were but very thinly furnished with provisions or frequented with buyers compared to what they were before. And the Lord Mayor caused the country people who brought provisions to be stopped in the streets leading into the town and to sit down there with their goods where they sold what they brought and went immediately away. And this encouraged the country people greatly to do so, for they sold their provisions at the very entrances into the town and even in the fields, as particularly in the fields beyond Whitechapel, in Spitalfields. Note, those streets now called Spitalfields were then indeed open fields, also in St. George's Fields in Southwark, in Bunhill Fields, and in a great field called Woods Close near Islington. Thither the Lord Mayor, aldermen, and magistrates sent their officers and servants to buy for their families, themselves keeping within doors as much as possible, and the like did many other people. And after this method was taken, the country people came with great cheerfulness and brought provisions of all sorts, and very seldom got any harm, which I suppose added also to that report of their being miraculously preserved. 
As for my little family, having thus, as I have said, laid in a store of bread, butter, cheese, and beer, I took my friend and physician's advice and locked myself up and my family and resolved to suffer the hardship of living a few months without flesh meat rather than to purchase it at the hazard of our lives.